Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. In London, this is The Economist. You're listening to Tasting Menu, our weekly highlights podcast that serves up a refined selection of pieces from the week's coverage. I'm Anne McElvoy, head of Economist Radio. And on your menu this week, competitive climbing gets a leg up. A new camera system leads the blind and the green-fingered Jesus trying to save the world's plants. But first, a gamble gone wrong was our cover line this week. Britain's Prime Minister, Theresa May, took a risk when she called a snap general election eight weeks ago. Unfortunately for her, it didn't pay off, as a botched campaign led to the loss of her party's majority. This will bring chaos, but also opportunities, our cover leader explained. The best case for the Tories today is a wafer-thin majority under a Prime Minister whose authority may never recover. Labour's only hope of forming a government would be through a gravity-defying deal with other parties. Another election, Britain's fourth national poll in little more than two years, may be on the way. Whoever emerges Prime Minister will have to grapple with a confluence of crises. First is the chronic instability that's taken hold of Britain's politics and which will be hard to suppress. This week's poll reveals a divided country between outward and inward-looking voters, young and old, the cosmopolitan cities and the rest nationalists and unionists. This division is set against a bleak economic backdrop. Whereas in 2016, the economy defied the Brexit referendum to grow at the fastest pace in the G7, in the first quarter of this year, it was the slowest. Unemployment is at its lowest in decades, but with inflation at a three-year high and rising, real wages are falling. And then there's the small matter of negotiating Britain's exit from the European Union. Brexit's complexity is on a scale that Britain's political class has willfully ignored. Quite apart from failing to spell out how to negotiate history's trickiest ever divorce, no politician has seriously answered the question of how the economic pain of Brexit will be shared. But although the road ahead will be bumpy, political forces may shift in the right direction along the way. Our backing of the Lib Dems was a down payment for the future. As the Tories ponder a new leader to replace the tragic Mrs May, that Liberal future is once more in play. Another of our leaders explored how to police the internet after three successive terrorist attacks struck Britain in as many months. The spotlight has been pointed once more at the role of companies and governments in monitoring and censoring material that's posted online. Tech firms could do more to help, but within limits, we argued. Technology giants such as Google and Facebook are accused of turning a blind eye to violent online propaganda and other platforms of allowing terrorists to communicate with each other out of reach of the intelligence services. Similar charges have fallen on their shoulders. The technology firms have also been condemned for allowing the spread of fake news and harbouring bullies, bigots and trolls in the pursuit of profit. In the past, they were accused of enabling people to evade copyright and of hosting child pornography. In all these areas... Politicians are demanding that the technology giants take more responsibility for what appears on their networks. Within limits, they are right. 
commercial interests can incentivize these firms to act and to show that they can. Although fake news is popular and engaging and provides opportunities to fill advertising slots, it is bad for the technology giant's reputations. Accordingly, Google and Facebook are doing more to cut off fake news sites from their advertising networks, build new tools to flag dubious stories and warn readers of them, and establish links with fact-checking organisations. But when this isn't enough, governments can prod them in the right direction. As German lawmakers have, threatening huge fines. Under a voluntary agreement with European regulators, the big firms have set a target of reviewing and, when appropriate, removing within a day at least 50% of content flagged by users as hateful or xenophobic. Whatever the method, a degree of action must be taken, we argued. But the arguments about terrorism and extremist content are a stark reminder that the lawless, freewheeling era of the early internet is over. Technology firms may find that difficult to accept, but accept it they must, as part of the responsibility that comes with their newfound power and as part of the price of their success. To read more about policing the internet, pick up a copy of this week's issue. On now to Europe, where bulging waistlines have come under close scrutiny. Obesity has spread around the continent, but countries are now introducing tax laws to trim things down, as an article reported. Visit any culinary establishment in Budapest, and some of the reasons why Hungary is the most obese country in Europe will soon become clear. In the coffee houses, you'll see Dobostorta, a five-layer chocolate buttercream concoction topped with glazed caramel, Shomloy Galuska, a chocolate and rum sponge cake, and Gjestenjepura, a chestnut puree served with whipped cream. But these culinary delights come at a heavy price. According to new data released by the OECD, a club of mostly rich countries, almost two-thirds of Hungarians are overweight and nearly a third are obese. In 2011, the country's Prime Minister, Viktor Orban, introduced a tax to try to slim down the public. Dubbed the chips tax, it applies to sugar, salt, fat, booze and energy drinks. The policy has had some success. Other countries are now hoping for fiscally reduced waistlines too. In 2018, Britain, the second most obese country in Europe, will introduce a sugar tax that's expected to add 8p to a 70p can of Coke. Hungary's example may tip the scales in Europe's fight against fat. Hold the dumplings and pass the cucumber salad. Perhaps a glass of Tokai, too, while you're at it. America could have some advice to offer weighty Europeans looking to shed a few pounds. A series of remarkable feats have increased the appeal of a niche and healthy pastime, sport climbing. Most people get sweaty palms just staring up at the sheer granite bulk of El Capitan, a spectacular rock formation in California's Yosemite Valley. Alex Honnold stayed dry as he ascended the 3,000-foot, that's 900-metre vertical wall, on June 3rd, jamming his hands in cracks and pulling on edges barely big enough for fingertips. And just as well, he did keep hold. He carried no kit other than painfully snug shoes and a bag of gymnast's chalk strapped to his waist to keep his fingers moisture-free. There was no rope to secure him if he fell. Thankfully, he didn't, and such tales of daring do are helping the sport's rapid ascent. Last year, climbing on artificial walls was included in the lineup for the Tokyo Olympics in 2020, part of a wider effort to rejuvenate the Games. 
Sporty children who may once have pursued gymnastics now often pick climbing instead. Some start as young as five, leading to dizzying leaps in performance. Time for us to take a leap into our other podcast from the week. In Babbage, our science and technology show, we explored a new camera and sensor system to aid the blind. A belt of vibrators worn on the stomach alerts wearers to how to avoid incoming objects, but also to actively seek out others. Our science correspondent, Matt Kaplan, explained. The users of this device have an interface with braille characters on it that allows them to signal to the device what kind of mode they want it to be in. So if the person is walking down a hallway and would rather not bump into walls, they can set the system to be in wayfinding mode. I am walking down a hallway. Please buzz if I get close to a wall or a, or a door frame. Similarly, they can switch a button that says, I want you to be in chair finding mode now. And you can listen to Babbage, our SciTech take, on iTunes or via your usual podcast app. It's published every Wednesday. To help guide our listeners through the outcome of Britain's general election, we had a special episode of The Week Ahead. One of our guests was UKIP's former leader and figurehead, Nigel Farage. I'm hostile about Theresa May because I think she's fundamentally dishonest. I'm not sure she believes in anything. She'd say anything to get a vote. I mean, she U-turns. And in Money Talks, a heady mix of finance and the environment. Following Donald Trump's decision to pull America out of the Paris Accord to limit climate change, the private sector could play a stronger role in environmental progression. Our correspondent Krista Koskolo explained how the system for green bonds is taking shape. And now actually the rating agencies are getting in on this game. So just very recently, both S&P and Moody's have started up their own environmental evaluation practices. And they're actually setting up more of a sort of scale similar to the ratings on credit ratings. The final taste of this week's issue sticks on a green theme, and it comes from our books and arts section. We reviewed a new work by a devout horticulturalist on a one-man quest to find the world's rarest plant species. With his long brown locks and his knack for rescuing rare flora from extinction, it is easy to see why Carlos Magdalena has come to be known as the Plant Messiah. A botanical horticulturalist at Kew Gardens in London, he denies having a messiah complex. His book, however, suggests otherwise. Growing up in Spain, as the son of a florist, Mr Magdalena's ability to nurture wildlife was his miracle of the loaves and fishes. In his thirties, he won an internship at Kew, where a sixth sense for breeding dying plants attracted interest and scepticism. Even after he saved several doomed species, some people still did not believe the good news. In recent years, he has been sent around the world to train other gardeners, or rather, disciples. Amidst spreading the good word, his practical efforts have been impressive too. The most gripping passages are about his work with the last remnants of a species, a handful of seeds glued to an envelope or a plant discovered living in a single bubbling spring. And green-fingered Jesus or not, his message is, well, cardinal. A fifth of plants face extinction. They feed people, clothe them, heal them, and produce the oxygen they breathe. Some 30,000 plants have recorded uses for humans. Most people, the Messiah preaches, are blind to these everyday miracles. This book will teach them to see. No burning bushes on his watch then. An enlightened end to this week's tasting menu. Do keep sending us your feedback by email, radio at economist.com for that. In London, this is The Economist.
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 